University of Colorado. Ben Kwitek, Director of Innovation at the University of Colorado, Colorado Springs, understands that innovation is critical to solving the problems our society faces today. With the U.S. at the forefront of innovation on the global stage, Kwitek has been instrumental in developing the world's first Bachelor of Innovation at UCCS. Well, Ben, before we delve into your story, let's talk a little bit about innovation and what elements or conditions are critical for innovation. For sure. So I think innovation is really the foundation for so many great things in society. And it's a way to solve many of the wicked problems that face us in this world. The Hollywood actor and legend William Shatner, we invited to campus um, a couple of years ago, and the title of his speech was Innovation is Our Best Hope. And I think that's precisely it. Like, it's the the thing, if you will, that allows us to look to the future and solve these problems so that we can have a better society and society can evolve and progress in ways that are beneficial for more people. So in terms of the ingredients or what you need for that innovation culture to develop, I mean, I think I would point to a few things. One is a good country or location, geographic location to start with. And in our case, the United States is one of the best places you could be in the world for innovation. We have a culture of it. I think that throughout generations, there's been a view that we can do things different here, that we're frontier people and we're willing to push the boundaries of, you know, previous norms. So by pushing those boundaries that you realize that some of the boundaries you put in are artificial, like they're your own boundaries. And when you break through those, you realize that there's a lot more out there and a lot more is possible. So I think, again, the place would be first. Second, I think, is an educated population and a university. Um, universities, by their very nature, have a lot of subject matter experts and researchers and professors, and they bring their expertise and research to a place. And hopefully that work then leads to invention and startups and sort of a culture of wanting to try new things and make improvements for society. And then I think the third ingredient would be um, capital. And in terms of angel investors and in terms of venture capital, um, that's really the fuel that's added to the spark that comes out of the universities often and transforms a startup idea into a startup company and hopefully a funded company that then goes on to make a huge difference. Well, before you joined the University of Colorado, Colorado Springs, you spent years as an investor and entrepreneur. At what point in your life did you become interested in invention and, and what prompted this interest? Yeah, so it's a good question. So I'm the baby in a big family. So I think that led me to be kind of curious naturally and also see the decisions that my older siblings made, both the good and bad <laughs> ones. And it sort of makes you think that, okay, they chose path A or choice, chose path B. Maybe I can choose path C or something, path Z, that's completely unique. Um, my grandfather was a fairly noted inventor in Wisconsin in the paper machine industry. So growing up around the dinner table, we would talk invention and ideas and entrepreneurship. So I think it was kind of in my blood, really. My father as well was a, um, a home designer and um, entrepreneur. So he had that idea of, too, that you create the future you want. You don't just you know look for it in a job posting. 
I love that. Well, are there any things you've invented that our listeners might recognize? Yeah, probably the most notable is the Dr. Grip pen and a lot of the ergonomic thicker pens that you find on the market. So that was one of my early patents. Um, The first company that licensed it was Pilot, a large Japanese pen company, and they created the Dr. Grip center of gravity pen around that technology. And then I ultimately licensed that patent to Pentel and Zebra and Bic and most of the world's major pen companies. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, as a writer, I'm familiar with your product. That's very cool. (laughs) Thanks. Are you still inventing? I am. Yeah. So I'm just, I think last week I got my 10th US patent Wow. and still with a number of them pending. So hopefully a lot more to come. So, but yeah, the pen grip is one that students recognize. And then also the uh, portable cinnamon rolls that, <laughs> that I developed um, that are sold at Taco Bell and a lot of other places. That's very cool. <laughs> well, it sounds like you are the ideal person to be the director of innovation, which is your title at UCCS. Um, it sounds like a fascinating job. Can you give us kind of an overview of what you do in this capacity? So UCCS is a unique place in that it it offers a Bachelor of Innovation degree. So it's the only one of its kind in the world. It was uh, created by uh, Dr. Terry Bolt, who's a world-renowned expert in computer vision um, and artificial intelligence. And um, he was at Columbia and some other great schools and realized that innovation is something that we don't teach. And it's so critical to the economy and to our future. And a lot of innovation occurs in teams. When you think of Steve Jobs, you think of Apple, of course, but you sometimes forget Steve Wozniak, who was his co-founder, who in many ways had the tech chops, right? He was probably the smarter of the two technically, but Jobs was the showman, um, the person who could tell the story, raise the money, and got us all using iPhones, basically. So a lot of startup stories are that way where there's a team, whether it's two people or three or four. Jeff Bezos says that if it takes more than two pizzas to feed your startup team, it's too big. (laughs) So maybe that's five people or maybe that's eight people at most. But it's a relatively small team. And when they work together, great things happen because they complement each other's strengths and weaknesses, right? It's not just one person trying to fight the world or trying to push their agenda. It's multiple people in a symbiotic relationship that creates this culture of innovation. The program here at UCCS is unique in that it's still relatively young. It combines multiple majors across campus. So when I teach an introduction to entrepreneurship class on campus, a freshman level class, there will be 50 students in the class. But some will be computer science majors, some will be business marketing majors, some will be early childhood education majors, some will be museum studies or art majors. And people might think, well, that's a kind of a chaotic, motley crew. Like, how does that work? And my answer would be brilliantly, Mm -hmm. because the more diversity you have of thought and background and field and expertise, the more ideas that come out that are unexpected. Mm those ideas where you're like, wow, that's more breakthrough than I would have imagined if we just had two computer science people together or two marketing people together. Because we all come at it from different angles. That allows that intersectional innovation um, that really the, the archetype for it is the Renaissance in Italy. You had the de' Medici family funding all of these smart people from various fields, working together in a community that you know, sparked the the Renaissance, which ultimately changed the world. 
tell us a little bit about the faculty who are involved in the BI program and kind of their areas of expertise in the power of diverse thought and areas of expertise. Right. When you buy into the idea that innovation occurs when you have a diversity of thought, there should be really no stopping point for that. Like it should be with the students, it should be with the faculty, it should be with the community, um, with the partners that the program creates. Like, again, the more the better. And I think we see that with our faculty as well. People who have diverse backgrounds, they just haven't taught at a university. They've worked for nonprofits. They've worked with startups. They've been computer coders. They've been people who have been video game hackers. And when all of those people come together, again, you get these different perspectives and also the students benefit because the students can determine or um, ascertain the kind of the realness of people sometimes. And they know whether what you're saying is based on what you read in a book or something that you've experienced firsthand. And when it's something you've experienced firsthand, I think it comes through with a, a greater sense of vibrancy and also passion. How many students have been through the program at this point? Do you know roughly? So certainly thousands. Oh, wow. Um, okay. You know, on an, yeah. on an annual basis, we touch probably a little over a thousand students okay. um, a year. And um, again, some of those people don't get Bachelor of Innovation degrees, but a lot of them do. But even those who don't, we like to think benefit from studying innovation at least a little bit because they can take that to their school or their Fortune 500 company or their governmental organization and think differently. How do you describe the value of a bachelor's in innovation versus, say, a BS in engineering? So good question. I think that what I like to say is that innovation is so important that we put the name in the title of our degree. <laughs> and I think that's true, right? And I also think it's a very good distinguishing factor for students when they leave here. So if you leave here and you want to work for Google, welcome to the club. Like, so do 20,000 other people. We've all seen their great benefits and everybody gets excited about that. But what makes you stand out from everybody else applying to Google? Certainly your, you know, your grades, your classwork, your skills, your personality, all of those things. But one of the key things will be your degree title. You have innovation in the title of your degree and everybody else has arts or science. So you look different and that may just get you a little bit more attention. And then you have the opportunity with your foot in the door to prove yourself. Yeah, and it shows how CU is a direct pipeline to many of these industries. That's exactly it. And I think it can be even more so in the future. Like there's so much talent and research on our campuses that can flow out into ventures that can put Colorado more on the map in terms of the, the place to be for startups. In terms of the ecosystem in Colorado Springs, I mean, Sports VTS is a great example. Another organization that I think is making a huge difference is Exponential Impact or we call it XI, that's sort of its street name. Um, but Exponential Impact is an accelerator here um, that has a very close partnership and a developing partnership with UCCS. The idea is to help startup businesses here. Um, through COVID, they help businesses that were struggling, local businesses, um, with advice and grants and other things. Now that we're coming out of COVID a bit, the goal really is to help um, create um, startup companies and put them through accelerators with mentors and other people from the university and from the broader community with a goal towards um, growing companies that can then stay here, employ people, and create that, that economic environment that we're all looking for. 
Certainly some of them end up in larger organizations, but they make an impact in those larger organizations because they come at it with a unique perspective. They're, they don't just think, okay, I'm going to work for a Lockheed Martin or a Procter & Gamble and spend 30 years here and retire. They go in with an idea of, hey, I want to be entrepreneurial and I want to shake things up a little bit. Like what we've been doing has been great, but we can do better. Um, so we see that in, in large organizations when our students go into them, whether it's Hewlett Packard or whether it's Keysight or other organizations, that immediately they're appreciated for that unique perspective, that questioning of, of established procedures and authority even and saying, hey, what can we do to sort of take this to the next level or how can we get this out of the box? And then, of course, some become entrepreneurs, which is terrific. Some have been funded uh, with their companies. And those are very um, beneficial to track for us because, you know, they're practicing what they're preaching and they're out there on the streets actually pushing their ventures, you know, to the next level. That's been fun. One in particular um, left here and they were accepted into AngelPad, which is one of the premier uh, accelerator programs. Um, at that time, it was in New York. It's now in L.A., um, along with Y Combinator, it's at the very top. So they left UCCS, went to New York, and participated in AngelPad. And while they were in New York, I was there for another business, and I had dinner with them. But it was great to just see that enthusiasm of, hey, here was an idea that started in a classroom at UCCS. Now it's being funded by sophisticated investors in New York. And our next stop is getting the technology out to you know cities across the country. So what other ventures are you and your students currently working on? I like to have my hands in a lot of things because that's fun. And, and they also benefit one another. So what I learn from students in the classroom helps me look at trends that maybe I can, you know, invent products around. And the interactions I have with large tech companies helps me know what they might want from students. So there's kind of a nice cycle of not so much chicken and egg, but, but a cycle of, you know, rinse and repeat almost like the, what I do in one sort of section of my life has positive effects in the other. And there's no question that the, that's true with, with a handful of things. I mean, I think one good example would be um, an artificial reality company here um, in Colorado Springs Sports BTS. What they do, Ted Sunquist, the former GM of the Denver Broncos, was concerned with concussions for quarterbacks in the game of football and um, thought, why not use military grade like flight simulator training to train quarterbacks? Because in both instances, you've got very high dollar assets that you don't want harmed, whether it's a, a fighter aircraft for the U.S. Air Force or whether it's a hundred million dollar quarterback. You don't want them hurt. So the way you get better is by practicing in a virtual world. So that was a company that early on engaged with our program and involved student teams in developing a football that can be thrown in a virtual reality simulator and processes that allow people to have a very real football game experience, but in a safe, repeatable environment. So the, the play that changed the game on Sunday night can be replayed Monday morning in a virtual world with very good accuracy. Um, but I think that's an example of a company that I continue to work with that continues to hire new UCCS graduates. And you see kind of that symbiotic relationship of ideas expressed in the classroom, then, you know, given to students who then go out into the world and practice what they've learned about, and then a company benefiting from that and raising money 
So again, you get this whole kind of ecosystem that develops and good things happen. That's very exciting. It must be very rewarding to see. I think at some point you realize that we're all here to make a difference. But perhaps the biggest difference any of us can make is by empowering other people to make a difference because then the the light continues. I mean, I think it was Thomas Jefferson who said that when I hold a candle, I have light. And when I light that somebody else's candle, um, it doesn't diminish mine, but it provides more light to the world. And I think higher education is all about that, right? It's about illuminating subjects and fields and, and all the things we experience as humans. Well, you've said you want to teach students how to think differently, especially when it comes to defining achievement. What do you mean by this and how do you approach this? Yeah, so it's a good question, right? Like um, achievement is, is a moving target, right? So is success. Like you, you like to think, okay, when I reach milestone A, then I'll be successful or then I'll be happy. And I think the thing we learn is that it's a moving target, especially among people who are driven and people who are entrepreneurs at heart, like they're, they're not easily satisfied and they realize there's always something farther. But I think that could be a recipe for a lot of frustration and, and perhaps a, a life that isn't very rewarding. But I think what you have to do is realize that, okay, my journey to success is ongoing and will never end. But part of that journey is helping others in their journeys And that actually is the most rewarding piece of it because then you see their successes and you see the failures they didn't make because you said, hey, I made that mistake. Um, Let me save you the time and money. Don't do this. (laughs) Right, right. Well, your students, I'm sure, look to you for guidance, expertise, inspiration. How do your students inspire you? You know, in so many ways, I think that the world in some ways is negative. Like if you turn on your computer and and read the headlines or pick up a New York Times or a Washington Post or a Wall Street Journal, there's so many things to be concerned and worried about in the world. And that takes a toll. I think all of us feel a little bit of the weight of all of the problems on the world. And are we going to be okay as a society, as a country? Like, are we headed in the right direction? And some days, you know, I think we all question that. But I think when you see students coming in and you see their enthusiasm for ideas, it gives you hope that, okay, we may have a lot of problems, but we've got a lot of energy and we've got a lot of brain power. And between those two things, I like our odds. That's one of the most hopeful things I've heard in recent times. So thank you for that inspiration. (laughs) That's inspiring. Well, what are your goals for the Bachelor of Innovation program and or innovation overall at UCCS in the months and years ahead? Our Bachelor of Innovation program is really one of our marquee programs here. And we get students from around the country coming here because of it. Um, Their parents are entrepreneurs or their parents are successful professionals. And they're like, you know, thinking innovative is going to serve you well, whatever you choose to do. So maybe this is a place you want to go to study that. So I think my goals are to sort of broaden that awareness initially, get more people aware of what we're doing and how we're teaching innovation and how that's leading to really great results, both on a micro level and a macro level. And I think one of the ways to do that is to grow our program into a school of innovation. And a school of innovation would be Um, A great thing for the state of Colorado because there isn't a school of innovation in the state of Colorado. There's entrepreneurship programs and 
there's programs that touch on innovation, but not a school dedicated to it. Almost think like design school at Stanford or other innovation schools at the very top-notch universities in the world that teach a way of thinking and a way of attacking problems with other people and diverse inputs and coming out with solutions that are way more than the sum of the parts. So I'd love to do that. And I think part of that is, again, growing with new programs. We've got the Bachelor of Innovation. Master of Innovation is something we'd like to do for sure and is on the drawing board. Um, The School of Innovation to house both of those degrees. And then ideally a new facility as well, Um, a state-of-the-art building that combines not only classroom space and office space, but shared workspace and maker space and a hub for entrepreneurs and new startups to gather so that you've got a building that has a 24-7 energy about it. So that when students are coming to class to study entrepreneurship, they see entrepreneurs in the corridors and hanging out at tables, drinking Starbucks, realizing that, hey, that's that's me or that could be me in three months or six months or two years. But it's palpable because it's right there. I spent some time on the Stanford University campus and University Avenue in Palo Alto has that kind of energy where if you just browse the the tables or walk down the street, you hear people talking about their new inventions and, oh, my company just did a Series A for $12 or my company's planning an IPO. And there's this energy and dynamic feeling there that is contagious and is very fun. And I think once that goes viral, it creates, again, this very conducive climate for startups and ultimately job creation and a better place to live. And how does Colorado Springs help this ecosystem? So Colorado Springs is a place that has a lot of things going for it. I mean, it's proximity to Denver. It's in a state that's you know consistently ranked among the best in the country to live. It's a beautiful place. You've got a 14,000-foot mountain right out your window. You know, you've got Garden of the Gods, you've got the Broadmoor, um, and a lot of great people here, Um, and tremendous growth. So people from all over the country moving to Colorado Springs because of the quality of life. Now, that creates some growing pains, to be sure, but it also creates a very ripe environment to take things to that next level. So I've heard people around the city say that Colorado Springs is, you know, Austin, Texas, or Nashville, Tennessee, five or 10 or 15 years ago, that we're one of those places that's going to really explode on the national scene for its vibrancy. And I think innovation is, is really the cornerstone of that, that if you can get um, new companies coming here, if you can fund new companies here, um, that leads to just so many good things. There's a multiplier effect. And UCCS and the innovation program, or hopefully school, can be the center of that. Ben, you've traveled the world discussing the power of innovation. Can you tell us a little bit about some of the places you visited and the purpose of these trips and maybe kind of your key messaging within that broader subject? For sure. So my initial overseas trips were based on my businesses and my inventions and trying to get companies to license my technologies or to partner with me. So one of my early trips was to England, a follow-on trip to Japan, which I sort of failed all the cultural tests there. I thought it was a meeting with one of the largest Japanese companies, and we met in a boardroom at their headquarters, and I was alone, and there was like 12 Japanese gentlemen around this boardroom table, 
And of course, during the whole meeting, I had a PowerPoint and I, I was all organized and I had my, you know, good suit on and everything. And they were consistently nodding their heads and kind of smiling. So I was thinking that I was hitting a home run, like I was most certainly going to get a deal at the end of this meeting, not realizing that Japanese culture is such that you nod your head and you're agreeable whether you like the person's ideas or not. <laughs> so months later, not having gotten a deal, I sort of realized that the hard way that maybe I had made assumptions that what I thought was approval was actually just hospitality and kindness on their behalf. So a lot of those initial overseas trips were related to business. Germany a lot because I started a company called Roundabout Signs. We import authentic German road signs to the U.S. market that people hang in their garages and basements. Um, the genesis of that actually is a funny story. So um, parts of the German Autobahn are no speed limit. And there is a round sign that indicates no speed limit. It's basically a white round sign with black diagonal marks indicating like end of restrictions. So you can go as fast as your car will take you and your courage will take you for that matter. So I fell in love with it. I was working with BMW and driving 150 miles an hour on some of these stretches of German road. Like it just brought me to life. Like I loved it. <laughs> so I wanted one of these no speed limit signs from my office because I thought I love the the idea of no limits to life that we can go farther and faster than we think we can. And I researched it, went to eBay, talked to all my German friends. Nobody sold them. So I, I, a car buddy of mine here in Colorado Springs, we said, let's just start a company and just bring them over ourselves. So we had to get permission from the German government and the U.S. government to bring over the signs. But they're the real signs. The company is, yeah, over a decade old and a lot of famous people. I mean, Jay Leno liked it so much, he invited us on the show. Um, he's got one in his home and in his garage. Wow. So those were the initial like European and, and global travels, Asian travels. And then at some point I started traveling um, with the U.S. State Department for their program to develop entrepreneurship and innovation around the world. And what is kind of the, the main message you try to convey on these trips, particularly for the State Department? Yeah, I mean, I think it's that America is very good at innovation and entrepreneurship because we're not afraid to fail and we're willing to try new things, and we believe in our people that good ideas can come from garages and good ideas can come from basements. They don't have to come from the government or they don't have to come from people who have a privileged background. It's democratic innovation is, and it's one of our best hopes because it's a way to bridge the income divide that we see increasingly in the world. It's a way for those who maybe don't have as much to use the power of their brain and their willpower and their desire to work to take that intellectual property into a realm where they're rewarded for it. And that then, you know, creates either a middle class or it allows them to get to a, a higher income area. And again, that's good for everybody. Well, you're a big proponent of learning from failure. How has this manifested in your own life? And can you tell us about a project that didn't work out as planned and how that failure served you ultimately? For sure. So I like to tell my students that if you're not failing, you're not trying hard enough and you're not pushing the boundaries. It sounds a little bit cliched, but it's absolutely true because if you're always getting the success you dream of and desire, it either means you have superhuman abilities or your goals are very attainable and very low so that the bar is, yeah, you can just walk over the bar. You don't even have to jump. 
Um, but failure is in many ways the best teacher because it's so raw and it's so harmful in some ways. Like it's, it's almost toxic to you as an entrepreneur because that's not what you're built. You're built to win. And when you fail, it, it just, it, it causes you to, to question things and it causes you to double down. I think though, it, especially if you just look at it for a second and then you move forward, like you can't be obsessed with the failures or the problems because, um, you just get caught in a cycle then. So you have to take the failure, acknowledge it for what it is, take lessons from it, and then quickly pivot to, okay, what am I doing next? Where are the opportunities that exist in between these problems? And that was an example that was actually highlighted to me by a driving instructor at BMW. One of the things you do when you take a driving school class is you take the car through the cones, so the slalom. And of course, you don't want to hit the orange cones, and you want to go as fast as you can um, through the cones as you can. So after timing us for a half day, I asked the chief instructor, I said, how is it that you're faster than all of us at getting to the cones? Like it's experienced to be sure, but what else is it? And he said, the secret is you don't look at the cones. And because when you look at the cones, you tend to hit the cones. He said, all I look at is the open space between the cones and my body and my brain know what to do then to navigate the car through those open spaces. And then he got philosophical on me and he said, the same is true with life. The orange cones are the problems that we all encounter. But he said, if you stare at the problems, you keep hitting problem after problem. He said, you have to look at the open space between the problems because that's where the opportunity is. And that's where you need to direct your car and or your life. I love that. Well, do you have an example of a personal success that maybe evolved from an initial not so successful endeavor? Yeah, for sure. So one thing that failed is after I developed the pen grip, I thought I knew a lot about ergonomics and haptics and soft touch polymers. So it's a little bit like that expression, you give a kid a hammer and they think everything's a nail. I thought then I could sort of change the world with my knowledge of polymers and haptics. <laughs> So I applied for some patents for consumer electronics, for um, gel pads and other materials that made using a laptop, for example, more comfortable. I was very excited about it and I had a little bit of money. So I developed an aftermarket product called Laptop Jellyfish. So in conjunction with a German company, we made these gel hand pads that went in a package and then were to be sold at retail. And it was a colossal failure in the marketplace. Like, I, I, I think I still have some in my garage, if I'm being honest. Um, and they've got like a yeah, 2000 year copyright on the back of the package. And I still haven't managed to get rid of all of them. But what that led me to believe is that I wasn't wrong on the trend towards haptics and ergonomics and improved comfort in consumer electronics. I was right there. What I was wrong about was an aftermarket product that sticks to your computer. Nobody wants that. You spend $2,500 on a beautiful Apple laptop. You don't want to put a pair of $19 gel pads on it because it just looks cheesy. But so I took those patents and I applied for more patents in that space. And I ultimately then licensed those patents to Acer and Dell and Sony and Lenovo and most of the world's major computer companies. But I only did that because I created the consumer product first and realized that a, that wasn't a good product, but also that I was onto something in terms of a trend. 
we have gone through all of the questions that I had for you, but I wanted to just open this up and ask you if there's anything else you would like our listeners to know about the program, about you, about innovation, anything. One thing I would point to is that innovation isn't just for people who want to be entrepreneurs. To me, innovation is a broader concept, almost an umbrella concept, and entrepreneurship falls under it. So one way to be innovative is to be entrepreneurial. But I think you can be innovative in almost any subject or discipline. And I think we should encourage, um, you know, our children, our grandchildren, our friends, our family to never lose sight of the fact that, A, you can be innovative and you can learn about innovation to be a better innovator. And when you do that, it's helpful on almost every level because you then see problems in a different light. Um, You see more opportunities than you've probably ever seen. And I think you also give people and organizations a little bit more grace because you realize the obstacles they have to face. Um, You're more empathetic, basically, to people when you look at the world through an innovative lens. I'm going to remember the uh, analogy of not staring at the orange cones, but looking at the open space between. Right. Thank you so much, Ben. We so appreciate you taking the time to be with us today. And thank you for everything that you're doing for CU and for all our students and for inspiring people in general. So thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. (laughs) CU on the Air is hosted by Emily Davies, produced by Kathy Buten, and recorded and engineered by me, John Arnold. Email us your questions and suggestions at ontheair at cu.edu. We'll see you on the air next time. University of Colorado.